And so for me, it was um, it was a bit of a risk, but I didn't look at it like that or my own reputation at the stake. I looked at it more like for the sake of developing young players. So, uh, yeah, I think we can be surprised with some aspects, but then also proud and unsurprised at others. It's Football Friday and we're back with another episode of Across the Line. Today is a special one as we've got a treat, a return for Coach Scott Cooper. Chris, this is a great episode. We've wanted to get Scott back on the show, but we haven't managed to find the time to get him on. But what perfect, more, more perfect time to get him on the show than directly after what it was a fantastic campaign for him with the ADT team. Uh, we talk about so many different things with mm. the campaign. He gives us some groundbreaking news on a couple of players who's getting some uh, some looks, some uh, amorous advances from abroad, which is uh, a, a fantastic development for the domestic game. Um, talks about the performances of uh, the team as a collective and what it means moving forward for the, for the national team programme. And then also his disappointment with um, not being able to secure a, a second place finish. He, he talked about that a little bit. So yeah, I mean, Scott was great, really good value, spoke really open and candidly about a number of different subjects. So fantastic to get him on the show today. As you mentioned, breaking news, a quick review of the season, uh, assessing the competition as well, and everything about what we can look forward to for the Asgore's development team, everything in this lovely episode with Scott Cooper. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you do, please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And look for us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Without further ado, we've got Coach Scott Cooper on this Football Friday. In our previous episode, we talked a lot about one of the surprise packages of the Philippines Football League 2020 season. And that team was the ASCALS development team. They raised a lot of eyebrows and really impressed a lot of the Philippine football community. And today we've got the pleasure of having the man in charge with us on the show. Scott Cooper is back. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Uh, Chris, uh, pleasure to have Scott back on the program. Um, we talked a lot about ADT in our previous episode, and now we get an opportunity to, to get into the trenches and really dive deep into this. Yeah, a lot was uh, a lot was said, wasn't it, about the performances of uh, ADT in the recent PFL 2020 season. So, um, you know, who, who better to to discuss all of the inner workings of that campaign than, than getting Scott on the show? So, yeah, really, really excited to um, to get him on and, and sort of delve deeper into um, how he felt the campaign went. So, obviously, it's been a couple of weeks now, Scott, uh, since the. Uh the PFL season, how are you feeling now after everything has, uh, all the dust has settled, so to speak, from the, from the season? Uh, you know, feeling good. I mean, there was a lot of hype, probably some unnecessary hype towards uh, the ADT squad. You know, as you guys have mentioned before, if you looked at the squad on paper, there was minimal experience and um, <clears throat> there's a lot of hype going towards them, which I tried to protect those players from. Mm. As we review what happened, I think it's, for me, it's only fair to review personal uh, individual performances because that's what the development's about. It's not necessarily about the team, although the team as a whole did quite well. You know, some personal development. You know, today we have offers for uh, Diano and Gayoso to go to Thailand already, you know. So um, <clears throat> that's, that's two areas that we already have accomplished. And so we're proud of that. You know, Pintus, our goalkeeper, we loaned out to United Revolt. So we've got five offers for him. You know, um, Diano. Um, brought a lot of offers in, so did Gayoso, and we're not in a, a place to 
hold their careers back. That's the whole point of the development squad is to move them on. Custodio as well got some interest, but he's not ready yet. And so he probably needs a little bit more time under my wing just to just kind of cement that new position, which I think everybody could see he did quite well in. Wow, that's really impressive. I mean, um, a lot of <clears> us were wondering what would happen with a lot of these players who impressed during the competition. And I guess we're hearing it for the first time that these guys already have contracts or offers in place. That's, that's incredible news. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the whole purpose of ADT is to develop them and let them move on to, you know, uh, bigger clubs, uh, in some cases, stronger leagues, so that we can map out the careers so that, you know, that's the whole thing. I think people thought that this is the new Askels team, which is it's a little bit naive to think like that. I mean, it's, it's a team of potential Askels future players, potential and only potential. But to get to that, they need to uh, step up two or three levels. And so, you know, we, the offers have come in. We've had interest about over like nine or ten players but some serious interest on, on three and, um, you know, probably will mean that the squad will get cut down by five or six and then next year we'll probably go even younger and that's what we want to keep doing to the point where, you know, there's a lot of interest in ADT, maybe more interest than I can manage, you know, in terms of domestic and international kids that have got uh, Filipino lineage or passports in some cases. But right now I'm trying to map out where we go with the programme for next year, probably younger probably geared towards actual SEA Games eligible players and keep pushing it forward in terms of looking after the country's best interests and with that, the players' best interests. That's fantastic news, Scott. Um, groundbreaking news. We weren't expecting that. It wasn't something we discussed before we, uh, we got no. on, the, on the podcast. So that's, that's fantastic news. Um, so with those two guys in particular, Diano and, uh, and Gaioso, like what, what, in your opinion, is it that other suitors are looking at those two and thinking that potentially they they will be able to step up a level or two. Well, I mean, with Diano, he, he, I mean, he backed it up in the sea games. He had a really strong sea games, if you look back at that. And probably our best defender, and that would include Justin Bass and Amani in, in that tournament too. I mean, Amani delivered goals at the, at the end in the last game, but in actual defensive capabilities, Diano was probably our most solid performer. So he backed that up in the league by showing he was one of the strongest, if not, in the, in the league at centre-back. Made one mistake against Kaya. Uh, Kenny Daniels punished him for. But then again, I might say that, that that might have been Matthew's mistake too because we should be putting cover on him when somebody steps up like that. And so, you know, it's, uh, I think Diano showed he's got pace. If he's lacking something, it's a little bit of height maybe, but you can argue like the likes of Sergio Ramos in those positions, not the tallest either. So, Diano's athletic. What he did do well is he showed composure on the ball and a, willing, a willingness to attack headers. And, and so I think he was really strong physically too. And many times he shielded balls out against strong boys. That, and so I think he, he looked like that. With the Harvey, you know, he showed versatility. He played at the left back, left wing back, inside, inside midfield and a little bit up top as well. And we kind of moved him around in order to give him more of a, you know, a more versatile education because he's still uncertain as to where his best position is. And actually the, the two Thai teams that contacted us, uh, seen in every game, thought that as an attacking left-sided midfield player might be the place for him where he's, he's probably spent the last 2.5 games in that position and it looked like that might be his ticket, you know, he's, he's, he's a proven goal scorer at college, but that doesn't necessarily transfer over to professional levels. You know, sometimes you can get into bad habits in a lesser standard 
and you stand around waiting. And so there's no disguising the fact that Harvey can finish chances. The point is, is getting into those chances and the development of play within a system. And it looks, it looked, you know, like he's learned a lot from being moved around. And maybe in that, you know, it's, the attacking role in midfield might suit him. And indeed, that's what how the two tight teams saw him too. It's really interesting that you mentioned those two in particular because Diana was someone that, Jing, you pointed out, didn't you, in the C games, he really, he really caught your eye. Yeah. And I think it was maybe the uncharacteristic um, mistake that we, we will describe it as in the, in the Kaya game. It's obviously what made us think, oh, you know, it's, that was a real shame because I think up until that point, like you said, he, he's been making steady progress. So um, but it's great news for him that, that he's attracted suitors from, from abroad. And I think that would only enhance his development. Um, I mean, the other player that you mentioned there is someone who we spoke about on, on, on this show last week because there was, and for, forever, there's been this huge debate with Harvey about where his best position is. And we, we sort of defended him and you a little bit saying that, you know, we felt that the developmental aspect of that was really, really important. Like, as you said, it's, it doesn't always translate from you score 50 goals in the collegiate game, but can you do that in you know, in, in the professional ranks. And it doesn't always work out in that manner. So the fact that he was able to develop his game by playing in other positions, it sounds as though it's, it's enhanced his development and accelerated it to the point that other clubs have noticed that he could potentially go and play at, you know, the Thai Premier League level, which is, which is phenomenal. And, and ultimately, this is, this is the sole purpose of the, of the ASCAL development squad is to, is to get people those moves to, to enhance their individual development, thus developing the, the team as a whole. So I'm glad you put that to bed a little bit because as, as you're not huge on social media, but that, that, that has been raging for, for, a, for a number of months, even, even going back to the Sea Games last year, wasn't it, Jing? So, um, you know, I'm, re I'm really pleased to hear that because Jing is, someone, uh, Jing is someone we've talked about a lot, isn't it, about you know, having that development focus with this squad rather than necessarily looking at it in isolation on, on just individual games. I had the opportunity actually to call the, the, the Mendiola game against um, ADT. And when Harvey Goy also had an opportunity to slot in the goal, I was laughing at, at my co-commentator because I knew social media was going to explode, right? Everybody was going to say that, you know, we told you so, Scott, this is where he should be, blah, blah, blah. And um, exactly that. You come off the commentary booth and you look at social media and then exactly everybody is talking about Harvey Goy also should be playing in front. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, you get a lot of these criticisms on online, but it's good that probably that you're not there and, and looking at some of the, um, naive comments that you will see online, because, um, as you mentioned, these Thai teams that were looking at him, they were impressed with his versatility and his capability to perform most likely in their mind as somebody on the left side of midfield. So, I mean, it worked out for him and, 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 and fair play to Harvey. There was never anything about coming from him talking about how he wanted to play up front or that he should be there or that he wasn't getting his chances. No, he was happy to play wherever he, he, you, you placed him. And uh, clearly he's benefited from that. So fair play to him, fair play to you. And, and congratulations on, on hopefully what will be an exciting season for everybody to look forward to in Thailand. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good news for Harvey. <clears throat> and what I would say about people's opinions online, you know, I, not that I read it, because I don't get involved in social media. It's just, what for? It's a waste of time. I mean, I don't have social media. Why do I want to tell people what I'm doing today? I don't have a, there's no point for me in that, you know. If you know me, you know what I'm doing. If you don't, then unlucky, you know. That's, that's how it goes, social media. And so it doesn't really interest me. But what I would say to that is, 
everybody with an opinion, it's good because they obviously care about Philippines football. They care about the players. So that's, that's great. But they have to remember, so do I, you know? And, and the, ultimate, the ultimate is that the responsibility falls on me <coughs> for SEA Games and national team success. So I'm hardly going to hinder myself, am I? You know, and I'd like to think my track record in developing players in England, in Thailand, you know, it's, it's pretty strong. And, you know, Harvey's, um, he knows the conversations we've been having behind the scenes. And I don't need to come out and, and, and say too much. And I welcome the fans, you know, their, their opinions. And that's great that they, they think like that. And it's, it's super. But, you know, Harvey had plenty of chances in training sessions to play up front. He's had plenty of moments. We, we spent a whole two-day session before the Marlika game with him and Kennedy up front in working channels, opening space, emptying space, running into channels, creating space that's more difficult at a professional level. And it clearly didn't work. You know, he, he went up front against Mendiola, scored a nice glancing header, drifted into pockets. So he's not a high striker because he always drifts wide and left and right and deeper. And so he'd had the look from fullback. And if you look at like the Dutch example, they play players in numerous positions to get that look and understand their own position a little bit better. And so for us, it was about what is best for Harvey Gayoso. Now, people look at statistics and what thinks that automatically transfers. Oh, it doesn't. You, know, you could have a boxer that's 50-0 and, and, and fought nobody, steps up and then gets beat straight away as he steps up to a, ne a next level. And so you know, Harvey's a good striker, <clears throat> but he's, he's a striker that looks better when he comes from deep. And so giving the look at, at the full-back position, the wing-back position, He's learned something new there. Putting that a little, put him a little bit higher into midfield seemed to be like just the ticket where he's defensively strong. He's adapted that part of his game. He can get forward. He, we know he can finish chances. I mean, we put him on the penalties because we trust him in that aspect. And so I think it's, uh, it's turned out for the best. But, you know, the fans are always welcome to their opinion. It's, uh, that's fine. And I always think that it's good where there's an opinion because they obviously care. But they don't see the everyday training sessions. <clears throat> You know, they see a flash head, glancing headed goal. Did they look at the Marlika game first half? I take a look at that for 45 minutes, where we essentially played with nine men and had to change things at half time to, to, to what was a five goal difference in the second half based on a reshuffle. And a reshuffle was hard. We dropped him back into a deeper position. So for me, and, and it's backed up by the uh, international coaches in Thailand as well that have seen it that way, and my own staff too. So, but you know, it's all good for me. It's, it's fine. But, I, you know, if anybody's sending me messages online, you're wasting the time because I just don't read it anyhow. So, but then again, I'm, I've always got time to speak to any fan if I see him in the street or if I see him after a game, no problem. But they should just remember, um, I've got the best interests like they have. Yeah. yeah. I'm really interested also with uh, the Matthew Custodio thing because he's someone who I've seen since he was quite a young kid. So him, him and Harvey, both of them I've seen grow up. Through the, through the youth system here. Um, and Matthew's someone who's, who's always been highly regarded, but he sort of went off the radar for, for a couple of years. And, and to see him develop and, and have such a good campaign this time around in the, in the PFL was, was a really pleasant surprise. But it sounds like you've got some plans for him. So um, you said there that you want to develop him in order to maybe get to the same level as, as some of those other guys to potentially move him on. What, what's your sort of plans for him moving forward? Yeah, you're right. I mean, Matthew, he really adapted well to that position. You know, you can, you, you can look at um, players across the world that have gone from one end of the pitch to the other end of the pitch. And for him, it really suited him. And he hardly put a foot wrong, you know, in, in the league, which was astonishing because I expected at least four or five half a dozen 
key mistakes from him, but his distribution was good, he was strong. He, we, one of the things he was most nervous about was winning headers that were coming down the pitch direct at the timing of his jump. You know, having to get him from, you know, from a striker standing under a ball trying to flick it onto a defender backing off two or three yards and getting running jumps. And he, he got his timing right, his distribution was right, he's, he scored a goal from a set piece, following it in, he's got a nice long throw in. And so he got a lot of attributes <clears throat> and he, he looked quite polished. But I didn't want to get carried away with that. And so we had a lot of interest in him. And indeed, we could probably drop him into Thailand or Malaysia tomorrow. But I feel like he's somebody that can, that can seriously develop because he's got the height to He's got pace. He's good with both feet. He's got a nice long diagonal ball. He's a tough boy. You know, mentally, he's quite strong too and, uh, this year. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a pathway for him to go right to the top if we get his base education right and so he probably needs at least another half season or full season the, the dilemma for Matthew is that he's not C games eligible and so we it'd be good to see if we can how fast how quickly we could fast track him for Thailand or somewhere else or or United or Kyrie even for for the second half of next season so we can then focus on the younger players coming through the C game so but I don't want to rush him and I think he's shown the great, great signs. And I think we've just got to keep polishing him up. But certainly, um, certainly showed all the signs of being able to go even. And if that's the steps he made if in one short season, thrown into a position just based on training sessions and did that well. The question is, is how far can he go? And I think, Chris, you and I both know that it, the, the, the signs are really good signs there for him to go higher. Yeah. I also like to take this on to um, the team element now as well, because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, which you've already actually answered, was what kind of what's your main focus? Because obviously it, it was a slightly different scenario than how we envisaged this league uh, moving forward, which is it was a two-week season and everything was so um, short and sharp that the, you, I was initially thinking you might be looking at them in terms of games in its isolation and then trying to get the best results possible. But seemingly it was still that overarching theme of just trying to develop individual players in order to move them on or to have them ready to play for the C Games team or the national team moving forward. So what I wanted to ask you regarding the team was, were, were you quite surprised with how quickly they were able to adapt to your ideas? Because as you alluded to, and we said this on previous podcasts before, I think that the, the buzz around the team itself was probably unwarranted because on paper you didn't perhaps have the most talented um, team at your disposal. But in terms of your results and how you performed in the competition, I mean, the team was exceptional. So w were you quite surprised with how quickly they adapted to, to your ideas? Um, not really. Uh, I'm, uh, you, I mean, you know me well enough. You've been with me in short camps where we've... we've We've put things together quick, you know, piece on piece, layer on layer, and, and, and add things in that way. And so, you know, from, from my perspective is we, we set about to try to play a type of football that's modern football with some high intensity, high velocity football where we get forward and we keep, no matter what the score is, we keep pushing forward. And, and we, apart from the first game, we then we came out of the shell a little bit and we started to press, tried to keep the ball moving, rotated formations and positions. And so... I always knew we were capable of, of putting people on the back foot because our intention was to press and let players play at a higher tempo to enhance development too. And so I felt like there were chances where we could concede a goal like the Conchero Daniels goal. And there were, there were times where we'd, we'd actually pin teams back with the non-stop uh, high pressing, which is what we demanded in training sessions throughout. And so the training sessions were really good. So the signs were there in the training sessions. You know, the players 
went through a series of physical conditioning. So we made sure that we were good enough to get through the two, three weeks and close close um, games in close proximity to each other. So I wasn't surprised as much in the boys' capability to handle it. But possibly, I, was, I would say I was surprised in our ability to not give many chances away. I mean, if you look at the United games, only a couple of chances. Right, you look at the Kaya game; they had more, probably more, three or four decent chances. Then from there on out, you know, there was clean sheet, clean sheet, clean sheet. And with young players, you're always expecting, especially when you're pressing, that there're going to be gaps, mistakes made, and it, it just wasn't there at the end. And so I think the team, as a as a uh, as a continuation throughout the tournament, progressively started to believe more and get better from the pressing. And so we just saw the team evolve into a style of football that was kind of trademarked to ADT's pattern throughout the tournament. Uh, but that was us putting defensive, you know, pressing layers on each other, the, effect, the, the possession layers, the set pieces. And we kept, we kept just adding pieces, even throughout the tournament, where other teams might have been resting, preparing, playing. We were resting and continue to add things even the day before a game to keep them pushed forward. And so, you know, had I been looking to, um, you know, think only about the team we might have done a few things a little bit differently but you know I have to say we're, we're quite proud of the results and despite what I might say is you still have to teach players how to win football games you know if they if I if I don't feel they were doing the work in the game they got pulled off in the first half and they knew that if, if I felt they weren't focused or, or the work rate wasn't there or they weren't tuned into what we'd been working on they were coming off and and it wasn't coming off and ignored coming off explained to so that they could come in the next time and that's why you think you saw our second halves and substitutions coming always made an impact because we kept discussing and uh, adding things to each player individually and as a collective team. So, I, you know, was a surprise a little bit in terms of, this, I mean, if you look at the league, I mean, the ADT had the best defensive record, right? Two goals against in five games and playing the top two teams, the first two games off the bat, it's never going to be easy for a young team. So I think it was... Um, it was there was a lot of hype on the team, so there was a little bit of pressure on them. Actually, it's probably more pressure on me because you know you you put your reputation a little bit on the line. You're the national team coach, and you you, you take a team on paper that that could get beaten. And so for me, it was um, it was a bit of a risk, but I didn't look at it like that or my own reputation at the stake. I looked at it more like for the sake of developing young players. So uh, yeah, I think we can be surprised with some aspects, but then also proud and unsurprised at others yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned as, as adding on layers I don't know if you listen to the podcast that we did in the review but that's the exact word that I used to describe how um, how, how you went about your, um, your, your your training sessions I said like every session it's you would layer on a new a new aspect a new element which is what enabled us to, to get information quite quickly in small periods of time um, which enabled the players to adapt quite quickly. But one of the things that surprised me was the fact that with the full national team, you're dealing with quite experienced players. You're dealing with guys who've been in that type of environment before and they've played at a high level. I was quite surprised with the level of adaptation, given the fact that these guys haven't had that level of experience or haven't had that exposure. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So that was the thing that surprised me. It didn't surprise me that you were able to get there because as I said, I that's your strongest suit is that ability to continue to layer that information on. And, and it was, it's, it was very clear and evident watching the games that that was a team that had a really clear and uh, uh, crystal understanding of 
exactly what it was that was expected of them, both individually and as a unit and then as a, as a full team, as a collective. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that beggars for me the question of if the fixture list was flipped over, it had you played those other three games, uh, the, the three games that you won at the end and had the two top two teams as, as it finished, um, in, in the latter stages of the competition, do you think you would have potentially have given them even more problems than you did in the opening two games? Well, for sure. I mean, because, you know, with this, as you alluded to there, with Les, and it's a good word, with the national team, we coached that in. You were with me in the first couple of camps. We didn't have much time, but, you know, we were strong. We, we, we acquitted ourselves well with the national team in the first few games. With, with this one, it was, and that was coaching. You know, this one is coaching and teaching. You know, you have to add the, so when you're working with young players, you've got to teach and coach. And so it's a kind of a different approach at times. And, you know, I, I've been with uh, the England setup, I've been with Leicester setup in, in academy level. So I've been around younger players. And you, uh, I'm also a graduate of physical education as well. So there's a teaching degree locked into, into my background as well. And so there's some aspects of that, you know. And so the, the sessions were uh, deep, ses short sessions, but deep and where we expected players to be able to um, soak up the information and apply it. And that went with a lot of discussions as well, which you wouldn't do so much with the national team players. So we did that and we kept, we kept moving and moving forwards. W would it have been different against Kyron United at the end? Probably because, you know, given more time and adding more layers, it's only good, the team's only going to get stronger and better and more confident. And so, you know, the first game, the boys were probably caught up on not being bullied because for sure they knew that was going to happen. You could see the reaction in the first game every time they made a foul, the United players running towards them, you know, and so I already warned them about that. You know, you just, you, you, you know, you can respect people, but you don't need to be bullied. Probably they were too caught up in standing up for themselves rather than actually playing. And if you look at the last 20 minutes of that game, Pinthus made three or four saves, you know. Pinthus, by the way, a player we loaned to them and let, play against us, by the way. So, um, you know, that was us showing, you know, a nice responsibility to the player and being thoughtful to, to United at the time. You know, you could argue the last 20 minutes he was their best player, say from Carlo Doran, say from Matthew Custodio. You know, there's a, there's a few chances there at the end. So, you know, um, as, we, as, as the tournament went on, the clean sheets were there to speak for themselves. The goals were there. And uh, after that first game we probably came out of our shell and played higher up the pitch where we wanted to I mean we can be proud of the first game in the fact that we limited what it is an AFC Champions League team to a couple of chances you know and you know Maniots you know, got himself a red card so probably assisted us for the last 20 minutes we were numbers up in that sense but I think we uh, it, it might have been a little bit different it might have been a bit closer or maybe we'd have come out of our shell and pressed more and got punished more so we don't know Perhaps the thing that, that, uh, that interested me with uh, how the season transpired was a lot of people were expecting, you know, the Ascos development team to show up similarly to how they did in the SEA Games. But we saw a lineup that had a whole bunch of homegrown players getting integrated into the system. And as you mentioned, the performances were good, right? And um, I think that was um, an eye-opener for a lot of us to, to see that, you know, they could get slotted into a system and perform. So... Um, I might be mistaken here, but this will probably be your most exposed 
to homegrown talent that you've been in your time here in the Philippines, at least in a congested setup where you get to see not only your players, but the people that you're up against as well, all the homegrown talent that was on display um, in the PFL. So my, my question to that is, um, having been exposed to all of, that, all of that talent, do you feel as if you've, you've, you've been able to create in your mind sort of like a, a profile of the average Filipino homegrown player? And if you have, like, how would you describe that? Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was exposed to uh, all the domestic players from every club and young players coming through. And, you know, I'm proud that there was a lot of homegrown players. And for me, it's, it's, you know, I'm a foreign coach and it's never about where the player was born or what other passport they hold or what language they speak. It, it doesn't impress me. What impresses me is how they play the game. And you look at the likes of, you know, Troy Limbo uh, came into the team. Marzan came in the team. You saw Rantini on the bench at the end, you know. And so th these are players that earned the right to, to, to play, you know. Dean Eberle came in at left back, did a nice, strong job. And so for our, for our perspective, you know, Lance Ocampo, Carlo Dorin coming in. And, um, and what we saw is, you know, some willingness to uh, apply new skill sets, tactical skill sets, some great technical ability, some good vision. And so I don't think you could, I could um, wrap a, a typical Filipino player up in one. I'm hoping to see lots more different types of players come through the ADT programme. But as a whole, it gave me a good look at players in the league. You know, I was impressed with some players. I was impressed with Kinshiro Daniels. I thought he looked athletic. He looked mobile. We spoke uh, yesterday and the day before a little bit. You know, I liked, I liked what he showed us. Not the goal against us. It wasn't about that. It was his other, other games where I saw his mobility and, and a level of composure on the ball. And some other players too. I mean, obviously, the United players, I know them, most of them quite well. So I didn't learn anything new there. Uh, but it was good to see some of the other, other players that were on the radar and other young players coming through. And, you know, even now we're looking at ADT's next season in terms of, I met Dan Palomi last night. We were here in the Ascal's office in the Alpha Suites talking about potential new young players from, you know, 18 and up that could come in uh, in January time and we can take a look at them. And the issue we're going to have at some point is, we're not going to be able to hold the player, all the players that we want to hold. And so at some point, there's going to have to be a national technical plan so that we don't let these players slip through the cracks. Because if you're looking at like Carlo Dorin came from nowhere, scored the first goal against um, Stallions. He put a great performance in against United, playing really with Schrock, which, you know, there's so many levels between those two. But he acquitted himself quite well. And so we just need to make sure that you know that we um, there's been a massive response to our uh, to our office from young players and parents and coaches that want to get involved and and so you know it's open arms but it's difficult for me to review every player and so we're going to have to be backed with a national strategy too so that we that we we don't let players slip through the cracks because there's certainly there's probably hundreds of players out there that we need to look at and with those hundreds probably going to be five to ten that can be very good. So what is the plan then moving forward, Scott? Because I think that's something that's music to my ears. I know Jing and I have discussed that many a time, that we would love to see some sort of pipeline um, of, of players coming through the system so we can identify those players uh, earlier 
uh, across both domestically and internationally in order to have that consistency of player coming through on a, on a, on a national team conveyor belt, as it were. So, so what are the sort of the short term and the longer term plans then for this programme? And is it going to involve having this sort of replicated at younger age groups potentially? And I think first and foremost with the ADT, we've got to make sure it stays solid and it keeps continuing in in the goal that it is in developing young players. So we've got to get the right players through. But that's not going to be enough. And we can't have several ADT teams in the league. It's just not feasible. So there needs to be a national strategy. And I think you and I have spoke about this before. For me, um, you know, I can't sit here and say I know the Philippines inside out, the, the regions, but it makes more sense to me to start looking at regionalised teams uh, in, in, in the way of a US Olympic development programme works out. And so the regionalised teams come together and play each other annually or biannually so that we can start looking at these players and then figure out what we want to do. Is that going to be a national academy league? That's probably the right way to go. You know, um, national teams selected from the regional teams. And it's all got to be strategized properly for, for that to happen. And then the benefit of that is teams like ADT uh, will then be able to pick some of those players up and other, other clubs too. And maybe other clubs will surface in the way ADT has. You know, maybe there's some other clubs may, you know, pick up young players and say, you know, we want to we want to take part in, in that same kind of way. And so ADT is not exclusive. There's, no, there's nothing stopping anybody else doing something similar. You know, with, 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 for example, somebody like yourself, who's a very good coach, experienced in the league, internationally knows his stuff. You know, what would stop somebody like you coaching a team or somebody else like a, I don't know, like a Darren Hartman or other good young coaches around or, or some of the college coaches may be entering into the realms of the league too. And so I don't know exactly how it should happen, but I think things have got to be pulled together so that we don't let players slip through and right now, there's a big interest in ADT, so now would be the time to strategize properly. For me, I'm just focusing on the C games for next year, getting the ADT average age down and trying to, in a sense, have an eight-month preparation for C games with hopefully, you know, 50, 60% of what the C games squad would be at ADT to go into that. And there's, okay, there's players like, you know, there's players like Justin Bass in, in Thailand, you know, there's Jeff and Paul Tabinas in the J League that are both eligible for seed games with passports. So there's some players out there that okay, they're not going to come play for ADT. But you know, if we can get as many seed games players into the ADT setup as possible, you know, that gives us a better chance in the seed games too at the end of the next year. Scott, who are the guys on the squad right now who are eligible to play for the seed games or in contention for that squad? Okay, the goalkeeper Quincy is one. Um, there's uh, Christian Rontini is another. Um, Yurik Galantis, Carlo, Dan, uh, Carlo Darren, Lance Ocampo. You know, there's... Um, so, really, that's it. There's four mm -hmm. or five there at the moment now. And we need to probably add another ten wow. that, that are eligible. Because, you know, we'll keep some of the overage players like a, a, a Limbo and Marzan and Custody because we feel like we can develop them. So, we, this is not a SEA Games team. Um, which I heard some people say in commentary, it's not a C Games team, it's, it's a team with some C Games players potentially in it. But we'd like to kind of even that up a little bit, at least 50% of the squad is at C Games eligible and 50% of the squad is players like a, like a custodio that we feel have got great potential for, and we can do our service to, to him and the country to develop them. So we're trying to 
you kind of level that up in terms of percentages for next season. Now, there's one thing that I, I wanted to ask you about the performances that you guys uh, had in the PFL. Now, obviously, the last three games you guys won, kept clean sheets. All three performances were extremely impressive. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, for fans, it felt as if it was more disappointment in how Stallion, how Mendiola uh, showed up against you guys. Um, and Maharlika, well, perhaps Maharlika a little less so because there weren't much expectations from them. But what did you see um, against that type of opposition that perhaps allowed you guys to uh, take control of those matches? Because everybody felt that those results should have been the opposite, right? They look at the paper, they see young guys, and they expect the game to transpire in the opposite fashion. What did you see that allowed you guys to take advantage? Well, I think, you know, it's, if you look at all those games, first half performances, it was, they, they were all 50-50 games at, at, at the first half, you know? And so it, it gave us an opportunity to readjust in the second half, tinker a little bit with the formation, a few different positions, but keep the pressing and the pressure on. And even if you look at the first two games against Kaya and United, our last 20 minutes were probably the strongest in those two games. So the writing was on the wall that we were going to be stronger and stronger as the games progressed because of the fitness levels, because of the, um, uh, the application towards the pressing. And so we were able to break teams down. And I think... You know, if you look at, actually, I felt, felt Stallions played some of the best football against us in the first half. They, they broke out pressing a few times with some nice, intricate play. Um, I think um, Mendiola stood strong and it looked like that game could go anywhere. Same for Marlick, you know. And the Mendiola game changed with throwing uh, Galantis up front with the glancing header and then a free kick that opened up that game. You know, uh, but I am... Um, for me, the Mendiola game changed with Troy Limbo and Dean Eberle's uh, contributions in, in facilitating possession and the delivery from Eberle. The Marlika game, we, we, just, we, we, we came with more pace and we pressed them back a little bit more. And um, against the second half, we probably got players in their better positions. You know, if you look at Gaiosa, for example, the first half against Marlika, there was nothing being shown up front at all. We essentially were playing with nine guys because we, we weren't getting the runs up front and we weren't finding them up front. And so as we changed back to a 4-3-3, we got players probably in their more natural positions going forward. And that seemed to break teams down. And so I think you can say that you know, on paper, we probably should have lost the game, but it's not played on paper, is it? We all know that. And so for, from my perspective, it gives a chance to keep teaching them at half time to speak to them about how we can change the game, how we can adjust things. And I think in the end, the relentless pressing and the style of football we got got to teams. It even got to United and it got to Kaya. I mean, albeit they were protecting 1-0 leads, but it got to them. And um, that's what we wanted to do with ADT, give them a modern brand of football that's going to help them develop. And that's the way you know, I believe football should be played, and especially for young players. The reason why I asked that question is, do you think as if, the, the approach of some of the teams were allowed you guys to exploit them, you know, because I feel as if they would have watched this league and they would have learned something from you guys. Like maybe, maybe they will try to implement uh, that style of play moving forward. And I guess my, what I'm leading towards is how did you feel about the standard of, of tactics that you were up against, the strategies that you, you, you found yourself facing in, in, in this season? Well, it could have been different, Ying, in, 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 um, in, 
a regular season because these are teams with older players, experienced players, but less recovery time. We had mm. the advantage maybe we had is younger players, quicker recoveries, you know, rotating the squad, rotating formations, me all over them all the time. And so they, they were just constantly on it. And so the other teams, you know, you know the tactics weren't that bad because they were, they were you know, we were losing at half time to United and Kai. We were drawing with all the other three teams at half time. So we didn't come in at half time. Uh, up in any game and so so f from our perspective you know it could be that those teams were trying to preserve themselves a little bit knowing that there's another game in three days time that's not something I ever thought about I just demanded the same output of football high pressing high velocity all the way through because we knew we had the squad and it was quite simple to the players either you come off because you're tired or you come off because you're not applying yourself right and the players already knew that and so could teams have done anything different against us? I think it would have been difficult to contain us in the second half because of the relentless pressing that was going to come and the pace that we could inject from the sides and the enthusiasm. So I, I think it was difficult. I, I think the standard was, was, was pretty good. I mean, United showed you know, composure, uh, but even, even them going into a Champions League, you know, they showed at the end that they held on against us. You know? and, uh, you know, we, we were worrying them with set pieces. Chances were coming at the end. Kaya in a similar way, although I thought Kaya had two or three good chances to put us away that they missed. Um, but generally, I think it, I think we have to say it's difficult because the time frame between each game probably wasn't conducive for you know more senior players, shall we say, trying to recover the bodies properly. Fair enough. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I, I know from inside of Kaya that, you know, 36-year-old legs are not um, conducive to uh, <laughs> the type of format that we found ourselves in. Yeah. Um, Chris, anything you wanted to, to, to throw um, some coaches' way? Yeah, I mean, the, the one question I wanted to ask was, we were discussing this on our review session, and I, I argued that if there was a sort of American-style power ranking... Uh, which obviously we're not, we're not in that type of setup. But when you have a season of this nature, it's almost, you know, the, the common phrase of the table doesn't lie. It's not actually true. Um, and, you know, I argued that, you know, if we were to have a sort of power ranking, I would probably have you at number two, based on obviously the, the performances that you gave in the initial two games. I mean, you were given a really tough draw, you know, of, of obviously having the, the two quote-unquote favourites in your first two games and, and you put in stellar performances and then obviously having the three wins on the bounce in the last um, three games put you in a position where obviously you cannot qualify for the, for the Champions League, um, but put you in that runners-up spot. And I know you're a competitive guy and then that certainly looks better on a CV, doesn't it, than, than finishing no. quote-unquote mid-table. So um, I know there was a bit of a furore after the... Um, uh, the Kaya a, a UCFC game and I remember watching it initially and I was thinking for me I was disappointed with um, that as a spectacle I, I just had it as a, observing it as a, as a fan thinking I would love to see those two teams go at it as you know two heavyweights wanting to see who was going to take home the crown obviously as things developed it didn't work out that way so when the lineups came out I, I as a fan was quite disappointed and didn't really consider the repercussions that it might potentially have have for you guys and, and ultimately, I think it, it did sort of muddy that water a little bit because I think if I was to look at it objectively, and I have to because obviously I'm involved with, with Kyra as well, but I would probably argue that potentially 
you were on paper maybe the, the, the second best um, team in that competition. And, you know, one might argue if, if UCC had put out their full strength lineup, then, then things might have been different in terms of how the final standings would have, would have turned out. I, I don't know what your take is on that, but um, yeah, I'm sure it probably was quite frustrating for you watching it as an outsider, seeing how things transpired. Well, from our perspective, you know, the, our schedule to start off this league wasn't, wasn't going to be United and Kaya first two games in the evening. We actually had United on the third game at nine o'clock in the morning, which was music to my ears because <laughs> I knew we were going to bring the tempo. We we're going to, we we're going to run, we we're going to press. We'd have settled into the league. So, you know, as, as you know, things got difficult to get the league off because of some of the positive cases that occurred and we had to push things back, which the league uh, did a good job of, by the way, and, and making sure we battened down the hatches and got everything clear. Because the number one priority was safety and, and they did a good job of that. There's no question about that. But it was disappointing because I was really happy with the schedule when it came out. I thought, well, that suits us a little bit because it takes the pressure off the players. And then, then we were handed, oh, here's the first two games, United and Kai in the evening. First two games, which if you'd have asked me, I'd have wanted them third and fourth at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> because that would have suited us. So it was difficult. So I think we acquitted ourselves really well under a lot of pressure. That first game, Chris, there's so much, I want to say, ridiculous hype. You know, can you imagine anywhere else a, a Champions League team playing a development team where people are saying that this will be 3-3 or, you know, I think ADT will win this game. It's, you know, this is some of the things people were saying to me, which, I, you know, I just rolled my eyes. It was just insane because on paper it's, it was a total mismatch. And for the first half, possession-wise, it was. But we just held in there and could have got something at the end. And so I think our team fought hard as a, as a group of players to establish a foothold in the league for the last three games and did its job. We did its job honourably to the best of its ability right to the last game. And I think that's what you have to expect from all teams is to do the job honourably to, to the last minute of the last game if that's what's required from you from a league responsibility and integrity perspective. Now, you know, I've been in teams before where league titles won but we can still affect relegation. And so from my perspective, I call teams and let them know, just to let you know, we are going to be playing our strongest team. And I let our players know, <laughs> I want more points. I, you, well, you know me, I want more points, I want more goals. And that's where we rolled. So, you know, I understand what United did because they, they gave players a chance to play that possibly didn't have the chance earlier in the tournament. But the answer to that would be, you know, they could have played when they were winning 10-0, 7-1, or, or 6-0, or 7-1, or whatever the scores were they had. Those players could have been brought in. There was five subs, so they had that opportunity. When I saw the lineup for the last game, um, I, wanted, I, I switched it off. I didn't even watch it. I just switched it off and, uh, because I was speechless a little bit about it. So I switched it off. I understood that it was, you know, it was their prerogative to give players a chance you know, to, to do something. And um, it, you know, it's not Kaya's fault. Kaya now can rightly say they went through the league without being beaten, um, which is kudos for them. You know, we can say we've got the best goals against uh, record. You know, it's there. What did I think? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't on air tell you exactly what I think, but I think you know me well enough to know exactly what I think of that. I would just say that, you know, when we've got a small league, Parity and integrity and responsibility to the league is important. 
as equally important it is to your own players. So, I mean, I think clubs will look after their own players first, and I get that. If you've got a, a Champions League game or a cup final coming, something, you know, there's a good reason to maybe make wholesale changes. And so, um, yeah, I was disappointed, but I understood what United did because I think players wanted to play, but I, I, I felt like um, it's not something I would have done. For sure, and and it's and it's up to them. I, I I don't know if there are repercussions for something like that. I'm not interested in it. Would it have been nice to come second? Of course, it would have. Would, would we have come second? Well, we don't know. I mean, Kaya might have turned up on the day and been fueled to 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 uh, show uh, United, regardless what their lineup was, strongest team or not. They might have been fueled. So we can say uh, on a power rating, maybe we did deserve to come second, but we didn't. And that's they're, they're the facts, and so. You know, the fans will have their say, media will have their say. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have my say diplomatically like this, but behind closed doors, you know, of course, I'll be saying a totally different thing, which I've, which I've said to, uh, you know, people in ADT. I'll speak to you, you know, off air myself as well and let you know exactly what I think. But, you know, I think um, the point is I understood what they did. But I feel like it, it, it lacked a little bit of responsibility and, and league integrity. I think the key there is what you mentioned is um, we see it all the time in European leagues and in, in, in bigger competitions. But normally it's because there's an FA Cup final. There is a Champions League final. You're protecting the players for that specific reason. Uh, we just found out that OJ is going to be moving to Thailand, got himself a deal there. So it made sense that also perhaps him, he didn't want to uh, endanger his, his physical um, you know, his, um, his physicality as a player. So that made sense. But everybody else seemed to be, hey, you guys are fair game, right? We don't know if we're going to play in five months or six months. I mean, it's not clear exactly when the next game is. So um, I know from inside Kai, there was a lot of disappointment as well. And for the neutrals, I think the neutrals were, were robbed of a match which could have been explosive, which would have been the showcase of, of the, the top teams in the league. So um, I... I fully understand the, the, the disappointment in that one and, and sort of um, the missed opportunity, I, I suppose, is what's really frustrating there is. Um, a lot of people were wanting to watch a good match. I mean, some people were not invested in the storylines or who was champion for that matter. They just wanted to see what Philippine football was about. And um, unfortunately, in the first half, this, is this what everybody was talking about? This UCFC side that was incredible? Um, you didn't get a chance to see that in the first half. And, and, and sadly, a lot of people might have tuned out. Uh, because of that, um, yourself included. So um, yeah. that's the effect that 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 has on the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I've watched the game since. I mean, but on the night, I was, you know, I won't say speechless, but I was just really okay. And you know, it's not something I wanted to watch live. It's something I would watch back later on as the Ascals coach is what I did. So rather watching it as a ADT coach, thinking, oh, the you know, these young boys might end up getting second in the league, which is something that they could be really proud of. I mean, league position wasn't the be-all and end-all for us, but it would have been nice for them to achieve that. Uh, but again, with respect to Kai, we, you don't know. You know. I mean, you don't know what the result would have been in any case. So I think on paper it would have been a United win or draw would have secured second for ADT. Uh, I think that's right, isn't it? Um, so from my perspective, I just thought, you know... I'm not, I'm not going to give this my time tonight and I'll watch it as an Ascals coach, which I've done since. Um, what did I learn much from it? I learned a few things, but, you know, it, it was just something I watched at, at a later date, not, not live. And, um, of course, my phone blew up that night from people wanting reactions and it's not something I would get involved in, you know. It's, I've got a lot of respect for 
the United owner and, and the players there. And, and, and just, like I said, you know, they got some of their players a game that wanted a game in the league. And, um, you know, so I, I guess it's, uh, you, they're looking after their own players. Possibly those players are playing for contracts, you know, for next year, want to show what they're capable of. You know, some of those players may be the breadwinners for the family. And so maybe the, the, you know, there's that element to it as well. So I think there's two sides to it. I just think parity should take the um, should should take the upper hand in those situations, particularly where there's no cup final or anything else coming the week after. But that's just my opinion, and it is only an opinion. I'm sure United fans will say, "Hey, we we don't we don't have to do that. We you know we want to develop our own players because they could turn around to me and say, "Hey, coach, you said it wasn't about league positions. You said it's about developing players. That's exactly what we were doing in our last game. Some of our young players. So there's." I think this. I think we can't get caught up on it too much, and I think it's for the league to just clarify with United, you know, the reasoning with it. And I'm sure that that's what the reason was, and that's it. What I would say is, we loaned uh, Pinthus to them, and we allowed him, as you know well, both of you guys. When you loan a player, you don't normally let them play against your club, and we allowed him to play against us, and. He did very well in the last 20 minutes, saved a couple of look like certain goals. So I felt a little bit, a little bit like we were let down in, in, in one perspective. But it's, I won't lose any sleep over that. One thing that UCFC will be preparing for or something that they can look forward to, hopefully, if the pandemic uh, allows, is Champions League football next year. Uh, bonafide Champions League football. No longer the qualifiers, the preliminary stages. This is six matches, group stage matches against the very best in Asia. Now, we saw some incredible football from them in the 2020 season. Um, absolutely breathtaking passing and dominant with possession. The big question mark is, how, do they, how will they do at the Champions League level? You have experience um, taking a team far in that competition. Uh, how do you think they fare at that standard of play? You know, I think it's going to be very difficult for them. Uh, it, you know, just being honest, it's uh, the AFC Cup and Champions League, uh, totally different competitions. The levels are so different, you know. And so they've had that experience. You know, what you can say, though, is that they, got, they went to uh, Thailand and got a great result against Port FC. So they showed the capabilities going there, you know, against a, a team that's probably, if we're honest, third, fourth or fifth best in Thailand. I think the game in that, if you look at that game, it was 70% possession to Thai Port, 30. So it's a little bit like roles reversed for them in that setting away in Thailand against the third or fourth best team. Now, Thai teams typically struggle massively in the AFC Champions League. Um, you know, only the Buriram United, my team, Buriram United in 2013, is the last Thai team to even get out of a group. You know, most Thai teams don't even qualify. Um, and the 2013 team I had in Buriram, we got through the group, it's a hard group too, and we played Bunyad Core in the round of 16. We won at home, drew away to go through, and then we lost narrowly to Estegal in the quarterfinals, which was the, the team ended up with a ranking of seventh. But some of the football, some of the places in China and Japan and Korea that you have to go to, or Uzbekistan or or, or UAE, they're difficult places, really difficult places. And I'd say they've got... You know, they've just lost OJ Portuguese, you're telling me, you know, um, we'll have to see how they develop that squad. Um, I would have, I would have imagine they'll, looking at them, they might need to add some more defensive strength to that team. They lost Collie de Merger the previous year, you know. And so, 
<clears throat> it's great that they'll be in there. Um, I remember, you know, Muntong United trying to emulate Buriram in that sense and, you know, really having a hard time in the Champions League. And that was with strong, strong teams. And so I think it will be a challenge. Let's hope they can do us proud. They can play some decent football. Maybe teams coming here to the Philippines will, will, will struggle in the way that the Suzuki Cup teams did, the way that China did, you know, in the World Cup. And it's maybe just trying to make sure that you're really strong at home and you batten down the hatches away from home. And, and, um, but there's no way they're going to be able to go into those environments and play open football. But if you look at the performance last year as well in Japan on a, on a wet, wet pitch, you know, they kept it tight. And so I think that's the key is just to keep it tight and um, get your home games won if you can. And so let's, let's hope. I think they'll just need to develop the squad. You know, I'm hoping they can do as proud. It'll be good to see Filipino players in the Champions League. We want to see more of that. So I think it's great that they've got the opportunity to play there. But I think it's a real tall order. It's going to be very interesting to see how those teams, as we mentioned in the previous episode, how they find Rizal Memorial Stadium or wherever, yeah. <laughs> wherever the venue is going to be, right? It's not going to be their usual massive world-class facilities that they're traveling to around Japan, sure. Korea, sure. and such. Well, if, if we can get the fans out to those games, you know, even neutrals come out. I mean, if you look at the Ascals, the Sea Games, the crowds in the Sea Games were fantastic. Mm. And the fans there, they lifted those Sea Game performances. You know, and if you, look at, if you look at those last performances in the Sea Games, and if we can get that type of crowd in, you know, that, that type of attendance, it'll all help. It'll all help United. So hopefully we can, we can do that, you know. With the national team games coming back next year, you know, we've got the Asian and World Cup qualifiers, Suzuki Cup. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say those games now will be held in Manila, not in Bacolod. And so hopefully we can keep, you know, keep the attendances rising all the time and keeping the atmosphere great like we saw in the SEA Games. Because with all respects, and with due respects to our fans, you know, it, it, we've not had those fans what I've seen previous to that. But the SEA Games was immense. The crowd was fantastic. And it would be great to see that for United Games and Ascal Games and indeed League Games next season too. That's awesome. Chris, you, you know a thing or two about the crowds that the Philippines is capable of putting together. And it was really refreshing, especially for you, to see it during the SEA Games when we covered it and talked about it, that it seems like that, that life uh, of the Philippine football community was being breathed back into, um, into that, uh, to that community. So uh, what are your thoughts on the possibility of you know, building on this momentum? It seems the SEA Games, and now we have, we've managed against all odds to have a league. And now next year, as, as Scott mentioned, there's quite a few competitions for us to look forward to. Yeah, on the on the crowd thing, I think obviously the the Sea Games was was unique in a sense that obviously it was the whole country were getting behind the, the all of the all of the activities that were ongoing during that period. So it wasn't just the football; it was all the other sports, and and there seemed to be a real sense of national pride um, around the Philippines as a whole um, during that during that Sea Games window. What I hope that this short season that we've just had is off the back of the Sea Games success, off the back of, obviously, the, the, the tournament that we just had, I hope it does reignite that passion for when we do finally have the Games open up, that people will come out in their droves to support the team, as, as Scott was alluding to, whether it be UCFC, whether it be um, national team games, whether it be just the league when it finally opens up again. I, I really do hope that, that 
that passion, that enthusiasm can, continues to, uh, to be fostered within the football community because it does, does make a huge, huge difference. I mean, you look at the, some of the games that I had when, back in my day, sound old, but um, you know, in Bacolod, we were getting 25,000, 30,000 people. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Um, and when you don't have that home team advantage, it, it does give and concedes that, um, that opportunity to your opponent. So I, I hope Scott's uh, rallying call is, is heeded by the fans because I, I, I do think it makes, a, it makes a difference. But I think one of the other things that for me is, is really important, aside from the fact that we felt as though the, the, the community was engaged um, with football in its entirety as, as the PFL season was, was ongoing, I think one of the things that, that's really ignited my passion is just you talking about all of these opportunities now that these young players are going to get. Because I think since the end of the competition, and it's only been a couple of weeks now, I've had messages from loads of people across the globe saying, oh, I've got this young Filipino kid, he's 15, he's 16. You know, how, how, how do we get him in, in front of Scott? How do we get him in front of the PFF? And, and because they know, they know that if they get an opportunity to be seen, it's going to open up a number of different doors, not just with, with the national team, potentially, not just with maybe a, an underage team for something like the Sea Games, but maybe for, to, for them to forge a career here in, in Southeast Asia or beyond. You never know. So I think that for me is, is something that is, is going to be a huge, uh, unique selling point for um, the Philippine football community is having players in the pipeline who could prospectively go into the under-23s, you can go into the national team or can forge their own unique careers for themselves. And that's all we really want is to forge those pathways and create those opportunities for these players because, you know, that, that, that's the most important thing. Because if you've got individuals that are developing, it's only going to be better for us as, as a nation, you know, cause more selection problems for, for Scott um, and, and the national team and, and continue to... Uh, enable the, the national team to evolve and develop and progress, which ultimately is, is what we all want for, for the domestic game here. Yeah, and, you know, there's already been some interesting pictures that have been put online. Um, uh, former owners mingling with, um, you know, Philippine Football Federation presidents and um, our commissioner. So there's a possibility that the league is expanded next year, like more teams come back and when we look back to 2017, there was a lot of talent here in the country. And, of, uh, you know, unfortunately, because of certain situations, we've, we've seen sort of a dispersal of a lot of that talent around Southeast Asia. Uh, and, and now perhaps we're going to get an opportunity with an expansion to get a lot of these guys back. But one thing that you did mention, Scott, um, that, that perhaps is music to a lot of young players is the fact that Mardiano, not just Harvey Goyoso is being looked at as a player to go abroad and perhaps earn a lucrative contract in Thailand because Mardiano is a guy who did not necessarily blow anybody away in the UAAP. Uh, he was playing for not a very prominent side in the University of the East, and perhaps that's the reason why not a lot of people thought he was that good. But after the SEA Games, after the PFL um, the season that he's had, now he's being looked at. So now a lot of homegrown players are thinking, Man, if Mardiano can do it, perhaps I could do it as well, right? Is that something that you foresee? Like more and more talent hungry to prove themselves at the PFL level so that they can then move themselves perhaps um, career-wise into a more lucrative place monetarily? It, it, definitely. I mean, first and foremost, we'd like the PFL to be bigger. We'd like more teams. We'd like to keep the players here. 
you know, that would that ideally would, but we have to be realistic and we're not there yet. And so players like Diano have got an opportunity to raise his level going abroad. He's worked so hard. I mean, you identified yourself in the SEA Games. He played very well. He was a strong player in the SEA Games. In this league now, you could look at the centre-backs in the league and I would say Odawara and Mitchell, obviously, two foreign players, you know, probably a little stronger than him in terms of the experience. But Diano showed the capabilities in all areas of, of centre-back and I think he's going to go from strength to strength. And so he's somebody that we're going to keep an eye on in terms of his Ascal's future. Okay, we're loaded with centre backs right now in Askell from all over the place that are, that are contacting us. But he's he's got that potential, and Harvey and Diano, probably Custodio hot on the on the on the tails too, will 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 be there too. And so that's the format that we uh, envision for ADT going forwards. And so bringing more players in is what we want to do. And we, you know, rather than funneling him in one at a time into the ADT problem, we have to find a system that brings them in in the, in the droves so that we can start getting players into the right areas and the right levels and so that we don't miss anyone because it's not possible for me to see every player in the ADT program, give them a, a two-week trial and then you know, expect to make a decision because even then it could be wrong. You know? So we need to make sure that there's a, a strategy behind the league uh, and the national youth development and incorporating new players coming in, how we handle that. As it stands right now, you know, I'm, we're looking at as many players as we can to come in in January to ADT to have a look from both overseas. I mean, there's a kid uh, messaged yesterday, sent a video, playing in the German fourth division, 20 years of age, right back, already has a Filipino passport. Uh, and um, just really, really nice long message to me, twice, and the father. And so he's going to come in in January to to essentially drop what he's doing in Germany to come and trial with ADT because we can't guarantee anything, you know? And so, and then we want to be looking at the domestic players. There's a lot of domestic coaches saying, this kid's talented, this kid's talented. And so we've got to, we've got to start trying a, a method that we, we, we get a look at everyone. And it can't just be ADT flying the flag for the entire country to look at all young players coming through. It, it's, there's got to be more than that. And while the college system obviously works, and I think it's a good system with some good coaches, some good teams. We probably need to find a way where the college and PFL and PFF and the national strategy all link together in somehow and work together so that we get the, the right product coming through in all levels. Yeah. What ideas do you guys have in place right now at this point in time? Obviously, it seems as if it's going to become a bigger problem once the droves become bigger. But initially, as you guys discussed it, what do you guys have in mind to as a catch basin for all of this talent that you guys are expecting? Well, I mean, right now I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm going to meet the uh, president of the PFF. And, uh, you know, right now I'm just focusing on ADT for next year to try to make ADT slash C games go hand in hand. Like I said, we'll at least try to get 50% of that squad into ADT. Some of the players, obviously, like a Justin Bass or a Tabinas or players like that, we're not going to be able to bring into ADT because they're already at the level we want them at. And so we, right now, that's going to take a priority in terms of we're trying to do what's best for the country. And the best for the country would be to produce good performances in the SEA Games. We have an advantage with ADT to bring a lot of those SEA Games players in and prepare them for eight months, whereas other national teams might have two weeks, three weeks before the SEA Games. We could have an eight-month, essentially, training camp 
for at least half the Sea Games squad. So that's the advantage we've got to look at now. In terms of funneling the players, you know, it's it, it's hard one to, to to say exactly what's going to happen. But it, it needs to be regionalised. That is for sure. And there needs to be a program where regional selection committees are working together and that these regions come together to play with each other. And that somehow goes hand in hand with youth national teams. And um, from that point on, it could be college selection. It could be PFL team selection, more teams in the league, more academies. So, I mean, it, it's really got to be sat down with, with a group of professionals to, to really strategize exactly the right pathway so that we get it right, so that the long term, you know, future is is fruitful for for players coming through because I'm convinced. I'm really convinced with some of the players that we're seeing coming through and are the adapter just at the ADT level. We, we, if we can get hold of some of these players from a younger age and expose them to more competition, more regionalised competition, you know, and the league grows, it's it's going to be better for everyone. Hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm extremely excited to see how everything pans out, especially with the UAP just announcing that they have drawn a line in the sand that they will no longer be allowing any of their new, in, uh, new recruits in the UAP to participate in pro leagues. So you can no longer uh, play two years at college, dabble in a little bit of a pro game, come back to your college team yep. and play their season. That is no longer on the table. So now they're basically telling players to decide whether you're going to prioritize your college career or your professional career. Um, and oh, yeah. ADT perhaps pr provides a little bit of that, that in-between, that gray area where you can get released and play for a guest team at a, at a pro team. Yeah, well, I think that, that's fair enough from UP and, and you, you, the U.S. college system, the NCAA system is not different. You play professional, you're, you're ineligible to play in the NCAA. So in the U.S., the same system. And I don't think that should be a direct opposite to what ADT are doing. I think it's that's just a, a decision, an informed decision that a, that a kid and his family will make what's right for them. You know, some and if you look at the US college system and the pro system, there's the systems in the US where kids forego college to go on to a, a development program yet still go to college as a student but not as a student athlete. Right. And so I think they're all decisions that are going to be well informed decisions. I think that the answer is is that the, the player gets the absolute truth in, in terms of the potential he's got. And so he doesn't forego, you know, perhaps a scholarship, perhaps the, the education he could have or should have got. Uh, and at the same time, you know, an ADT program, kids can still continue with their education. So I, we can't say one's wrong and one's right. I think it's just, it's got to be what's right for that particular player based on his education, his level of football and, and w w where the family sees sees fit for him and so it's not something I would ever you know uh, be a, opposed to I actually understand what UP is standing for and it's no different to the US system in the NCAA and NAIA in the US college you can't you can't you can't represent a professional team in, in any way shape or form and, and stay eligible and so I, I think it's fine I think it's just about making sure that the, the player knows what's in front of him and, and what the actual truth is in front of him and what the potential is and of course sometimes it might be you're not quite sure. Maybe that's the idea where he wants to continue at the college system and, and then be drafted out of the college system. So I think it all works. I think it's just got to all work together so that we don't have any fraction working against another one. Mm. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, the, the silver lining out of all of this is that the players, the young guys, they have options now. 
that didn't exist before. At least now, you know, as difficult that decision might be down the road once you face it, but at least you have the option, right? Before there sure. wasn't that option. Uh, it's absolutely, because, I mean, not all players either are, go are going to be university candidates, are they, if we're honest? You know, not all footballers across the world are going to have a, a, a career, a university education. You know, it's nice if they can. Some players can do it part-time. Some players will do it full-time. Some will be student-athletes, some won't. But like you say, there are options, and it's just down to the player to be realistic and the coaches to give them the honest truth in terms of the potential and the families to make the right decision because you wouldn't want to have a situation where a kid forgoes a, a, a scholarship and comes into a program and you know he hasn't hit the heights you didn't think he was going to hit the heights and and he's lost the whole chance of the scholarship or playing college ball and he's not made it through the the development program as well and so i think they're gonna to have to take time and patience to uh make the right decision and i think it's the onus is on professional coaches to be honest in that situation and the college coaches to be honest too at the same time and the families to take stock and make the right the decision that's right for them. And from my perspective, I'd always respect anything like that. Chris, anything else you'd like to discuss? No, Scott's just making me want to have a comeback now. He keeps talking about getting uh, you know really good homegrown talent. I'm a little bit overaged, but uh, I'd love to be. I'd love to have another crack at it. Be 19 again with some of the opportunities that these young guys are getting now. It's making me a little jealous, a little envious, if I'm being honest. But um, no, I think it's great. Like I'm hoping that some of this um, stuff that we've talked about since the beginning of our podcast, you know, having the pipeline, giving opportunities for these guys, um, developing players in order for them to move on to, to, to create better lives for themselves. That these are all things that are now coming to fruition. Uh, and, and the catalyst seemingly at the moment is this ADT program. And it's only been um, you know, together for such a short period of time. So despite it being in its infancy, it, it seems to have a lot of traction and spark you know, the interest and the imagination of the football public, which is, which is exactly what, what we want. And, um, you know, it's, there was some opposition to it beforehand. It was something that we were really championing, but even before we even knew it was, it was being conceived. And um, to see even already in a short period, some of the fruits of the labour of, of, of Scott and his guys, I think is incredible. And I'm hoping this is the start of something really beautiful with, uh, with the domestic game for all the young players coming through the system to provide real hope for these young kids because, you know, I'm looking at it for the past two or three years. It wasn't like it was when I first came, you know, where young kids were really aspiring to want to play in the league because they felt that there was an opportunity for them to, I can have a really good career. I can actually play with the national team. I could play in a domestic league here. It looks great. It's on television. And in the last couple of years, it hasn't been like that. You know, there has been a sort of downward trajectory specifically with the domestic league. So if we're having these types of success stories, and it hasn't been completed yet, but it sounds as though guys are getting looks and getting in interest. You know, if I was a 14, 15 year old kid thinking, well, what are my options here? The ADT option or playing the domestic game now seems to be a great option for them. You know, if they're getting looks and the opportunity to progress, progress as a young professional footballer, that's what we want. That's what we want as, as people who are patrons of the domestic game here. So I think it's really exciting times, Jing. So it's been great to have Scott on and, and, and um, give us this great news because I'm thinking it's, um, it's going to infiltrate and it's going to ripple throughout the, um, the, especially the youth sector here in the Philippines, which is, which is going to make my job a lot easier working in that, in that space. So we yeah, are really, really happy with that. 
I think just to add to that, I think one of the most exciting aspects as well is the approach to the game, right? Um, there, has, there wasn't a single boring ADT match this season, right? As, as Coach alluded to, um, he, he is very specific about a high-tempo pressing game, high-velocity, and it's amazing to see the kids being able to implement that, you know? Um, to, to, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to play in that style um, and we're seeing it now with a lot of these homegrown kids coming through and, and really stepping up to the plate, right? So, yeah, it's, it's very exciting, especially since, you know, you have Mardiano there as, uh, as the, the guiding light and Harvey also showing the way forward for a lot of these young kids. And I'm sure, as you said, there's going to be an influx of a lot of very, very exciting new prospects who are hungry to walk down that same path. So we appreciate the time that you spent with us here, Scott, for, for taking an hour of your time to break down sort of how things transpired and all the fallout from the, the, the last season. And uh, we're very excited to, to see how things unfold over the next few months. Uh, we appreciate you coming on again. Oh, I appreciate you guys too. And, you know, I, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to you guys. And I, I think you've both got the best interest. You did a good job, by the way, of the broadcasting. And we need to say that about the, the, the PFL, the, the, the footage uh, and the actual product that they put out was was excellent. And I think that was really good news. And it's great to see and great to hear as well. And so well done to you. And uh, and obviously, um, Chris, you know, that comeback two years ago, possibly you were looking like one of the strongest players as you, as a player coach. And I, I kept nudging you then to play, so you didn't take your chance then. So you're going to have to hang those boots up and oh, get, back to, get back to coaching with me again. Missed the boat, mate. I'm really disappointed with that. Live, you know, on TV as well. He just pinged me off. It's not, not even done a, in a subtle way. I mean, he's, he's just done it in front of everybody. So I appreciate those kind words, though. At least, at least I know that, you know, back in the Suzuki Cup campaign two years ago, I, I was the main man, even though I wasn't in the squad. So I, I appreciate those kind words. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> You're welcome, pal. All right, that's it. If you guys enjoyed this conversation with Scott Cooper, please do subscribe to our show on YouTube, Spotify, and on, on Apple Podcasts. We are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Please drop us a line. Tell us what you thought of this episode. We would very much appreciate it. And that is it for us on this Football Friday. We'll catch you next time.